Sword and Board Side Quest Edition. I'm Luke, and joining me today is my very best friend, Evan McDevitt. Evan, how are you doing today? I'm feeling fine. I'm in a good mood. Just watched one of my actual favorite movies, I, which I... surprises me every time. <laughs> so I, uh, I was surprised because this should not work. And its it, pedigree should not work. And it technically and it doesn't. Does. It, it, like, <laughs> the thing is, we are, as you've seen in the episode title, talking about 1987's Masters of the Universe, which is a canon picture, so you know it's good. <laughs> and the thing about this movie is that, at least as much as it wants to be a Masters of the Universe movie, there are two other movies that it wants to be way, way more, which is, it wants to be Richard Donner's Superman, and it wants to be Empire Strikes Back. Absolutely. This came out, this is very clearly riding the Star Wars boom, 1987. But you so can, we're, like... We're four years yeah, out Yeah, you can of, see it. Yeah, we're four years out from Return, of the, oh, from Return of the Jedi. It is trying desperately to be that kind of movie, and it doesn't want to work. For a movie that is based off of a cartoon, based off of a toy line, based off of an R-rated movie, again, should not work. But does. And it just comes together beautifully because there are so many things like when I also say that it's Superman, like you can hear it in the theme of He-Man in the movie is so very much John Williams Superman theme. It's just it's Mm -hmm. it's the pro wrestling entrance music version where they've (laughs) like rounded off the corners for legal reasons. It's amazing. And like the design of this movie, there is so much design in this movie. Uh, It's unbelievable like canon pictures is famous for being like a really cheap picture company but they clearly sunk a lot into this which is hilarious because masters of the universe was no longer airing when this came out uh they basically showed up just in time for the franchise to switch over to she-ra uh just as a side note (laughs) but every character has been redesigned in this uh in this incredible mobius meets jack kirby art style that is just dripping with detail and you get you know the one notable thing that they do with he-man aside from the fact that he no longer has an iron cross on his chest because woof i did not catch that and yeah okay yeah he-man has always had an iron cross on his chest and we've just always had to accept that but this version the dolphin has uh <laughs> has a little golden dragon which is fine but the real notable thing is that they gave him a red cape and Dolph Lundgren yep. is absolutely like it's true to the it's true to the character because there are so many parallels in characterization between like a silver age superman and he-man but it really feels like he's trying to get that Christopher Reeves like there are so many moments where he just gives like a little warm smile to someone that he's talking to and it's like mm-hmm. Lundgren is not somebody who is like held up as like this incredible thespian he's good in the movies that he's good in but he's most famous for being a brick with two boxing gloves on it his most iconic role will always be ivan drago and it's incredible seeing him be someone who's like really approachable and friendly and like you know he spends so many scenes making people feel better any any enemy of skeletor is a friend of ours yeah it's it's incredible to see uh and it's like yeah he's playing superman and you know what? Go for it <laughs> because it works in the role. And I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't get over how much those two influences are all over this, despite the fact that it feels pretty true to the source material. Like, obviously it's not 
you know, it's not high fiction. It's Masters of the Universe, as you say, a very badly made cartoon based on a very cheap to make that was toy that line. was probably based but, off of a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Probably. Yeah, it was probably originally an attempt to make a Conan toy line, but then they were like, that doesn't work. And also we don't have the rights. And also let's just throw a bunch of sci-fi in there. And make and one bo- and make one body type for nuts. every male figure. Yep. And you know what? Again, it worked because there are a million Masters of the Universe characters. And that's sort of always been the charm yes. of the line, in my opinion, is the fact that there are, it's like Transformers. You know, one guy gets redone in new colors, and now it's a new guy. And now you've got two action figures, and you can have this guy fight his evil twin. Or, you know, you can have... You can have the good guy who's from the swamp and the bad guy who's from the mm-hmm. ocean and, you know, all, all these things. Which, the thing that amazes me about this movie is that there are, I counted, seven cano- canonical Masters of the Universe characters in this entire movie. And there are a good, I'm going to say like 10, maybe 15 mm-hmm. original characters. <laughs> and I am so baffled by that choice because... Again, if there is a need you need, if there is a niche you need, then there's got to be a Masters of the Universe character who can fill it. Aside from the fact that to get into the plot of the movie a little bit, it involves the War of Eternia coming to Earth, and you know a small group of heroes, uh, He-Man, Man at Arms, Tila, and an original character who totally is not Orko, sort of filling the Orko role. Yeah, well, but he's an inventor instead of a magician, so it's so he's it's different. It's yeah. It's different enough to make it a new toy. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and so they're on Earth. And so you have a couple of, you know, Earthling characters who are in the most amazing bit of detail, played by Courtney Cox and Robert Duncan McNeil, otherwise known as Monica from Friends and Tom goddamn Paris from Voyager. Uh, <laughs> Tom Paris, the char- the most competent person in all of Star Trek and the ca- person Starfleet doesn't want. I mean, I am not going to talk to you about the merits of Tom Paris as a character. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not, uh, we're not, we're not here for that. We're not here for that. It's just the man had, the man had lizard sex, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, we know. We, we all are abundantly clear of threshold. Yes. Okay. Um. And, but, but so you have all of these new characters and a bunch of new evil characters. And that's where I get completely lost is the fact that they invent three all new villain characters that they put all of this incredible design work into and it's like why didn't you just pick three of the canonical villains from the show and i guess because they just didn't want to and i i would just love to know the design they they, they kept beast man but they made him he didn't he was now like a literal beast man he doesn't say anything and he has that weird fawning bit over skeletor well which... the fawning bit was actually character appropriate i was actually going to say there are seven ca- masters of the universe characters in this movie i'm only really giving them credit for six because everyone has been redesigned from the very slight like he-man to looking completely unrecognizable like tila or you know yeah. the sorceress who looks straight up like superman's mom on krypton um just, in a white dress with with crystals with a crystal a headdress um but beast man looks exactly the same as his toy he looks exactly the same as the version that you see in the cartoon but he has none of the personality he has none of the none of the gimmicks because beast man's gimmick is that he's aquaman but for animals he's the he's the dumb henchman who 
messes up everything uh, and somehow doesn't get killed by Skeletor. Uh, and, you know, there's it's that dynamic. But this take on Skeletor is too serious to have a comedy right-hand man. So they had to change it after they made the suit, I guess. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> what is What blows me away is that Skeletor is Frank Langella. A real-ass actor. <laughs> Actual-ass actor playing a role, once again, playing a villain who is almost like M. Bison from Street Fighter, where you are too good for the movie you're in. Yeah, the thing about the thing about Raul Julia as M. Bison, though, is that he plays the character as hammy and cartoonishly as that movie deserves. Langella mm-hmm. comes at this, and he gives it meaning. Like, every line he gives is the rawest shit you've heard in the entire movie thus far. Like, can we... Are we going to talk about the line now? Are, yes. are we ready? Yeah. Tell me about the loneliness of good, He-Man. Is it equal to the loneliness of evil? Holy shit! Th- that is that is way too good of a line for, again, a movie based on a toy line. And it's just, it's amazing. There are these implications. The idea that he's playing Skeletor as someone who knows that he's trapped in a toy line. Like, he plays Skeletor like someone who's like, I've been doing this for years and it's all been pointless i lose in the stupidest way possible and but this is it this is my day this time i win and i am an actual goddamn force to be reckoned with you will stop laughing and it's incredible and he's doing so much acting with his complete face covered and these ridiculous looking fangs in so all of it is in his eyes all of his acting Mm -hmm. and he is just moon-eyed wheeling about like he's drunk on power and it's it's incredible it's a legitimately yeah. amazing performance as what skeletor <laughs> perfect just genius um a lot on the show about how in fantasy more than any other genre the music is crucial to the experience this comes up a lot okay. because you brought it up it, this is a this is the it is almost a superman theme but with with the serial numbers filed off, pretty much that last fight sequence with between Skeletor and He Man, where it's you know nothing will stop us. It was always going to come down to you and me, Skeletor. Legitimately incredible chills because of that theme song. Yeah, it all comes together. It, it's the scene is constructed in such a way that you know Skeletor has supposedly finally gotten the actual the the power of the universe. And he's been given this amazing golden bat god look that looks like Galactus would look at this and go, oh, that is just too much. And he's fighting with his golden staff against He-Man, who's been who's been stripped of all his his minimal armor and he's not wearing his cape anymore. And he's covered in like slash marks from being whipped. And you have this this incredible contrast where they're like trying to make an underdog out of He-Man, the dude who, and I cannot stress this enough, canonically has the power to win fights. That is actually what the power of He-Man is, is the power to be exactly as strong as he needs to be to win this fight. And somehow they're like making that guy into the underdog, but it's all visually coming together and the music is there. And this movie has so much action to it. That's the other thing that shocked me is that like, I feel like I remember a lot of movies of this ilk and yeah. the thing that you get out of them is boredom because there just isn't I enough have... things. There isn't enough happening. 
but this movie has like this it it goes there is a fight scene every five minutes i remember what i remember is an excruciating amount of time with with tom paris and uh monica and monica yeah and i remember that them spending way too much time with them and then nothing else and watching this as an adult like no they're actually only in there for a little while compared to the rest of the absurdity of Jack Kirby's fourth world going on in the background. Yeah, which it's it's got to be addressed. This has been called the best fourth world movie ever made, and with Eva DuVernay's New Gods movie being canceled, it looks like it's going to hold on to that title for a little bit longer. Um, oh, it got canceled? I didn't hear that. Oh, yeah. It sucks. Yeah, it got canceled a little bit ago. Uh, Never trust a corporation, man. <laughs> But, you know, yeah, it's you have these two cosmic factions of of, you know, unknowable beings, one of whom is led by the personification of willing evil. And it comes to Earth. And like that is the original New God storyline is Orion is trapped on Earth and needs to be helped by the locals in order to get home in time for the big fight. Right. And it's it maps so perfectly onto this movie that it's. It's got to be at least partly intentional, uh, I think. I remember reading a thing just recently about how it's how he didn't intend to make a fourth world movie, but he did want to make a Jack Kirby homage. Certainly did it. Like yeah. I, I was expecting, I was expecting some crackle to show up, and I'm a little bit disappointed that. Yeah, there are a few places where there are some like post production energy effects added in, and I'm like, you could have, you could have done dots. You could have you could have made that you could have done that with the dots. Like the moment he pulls the sword out at the end and screams, "I have the power!" Perfect moment. Yeah, exactly. That would have been uh, that would have been like I would say a knowing wink to the audience. But the truth is that there are a lot of actual knowing winks directly to the audience in this movie, because that is one of the other things I noticed is a lot of dialogue is delivered directly into the camera. That's part of why I say like I feel like Skeletor knows he's trapped in the Masters of the Universe franchise. <laughs> Because a lot of his dialogue, he will just start out talking to somebody and then just walk past them at the camera and say something and basically basically end his lines with, Isn't that right, kids? And it's, I, I love it. <laughs> my, my strangest memory of this is my, my dad repairing the, the VHS copy of it we had with a piece of tape because I'd watched it so many times. And as an adult thinking... Oh wait, that chunk right there—that I never—I don't remember because that's where the tape was. was. That's beautiful. That's what an act of what an act of fatherly <laughs> yeah. devotion to actually repair your broken tape that you killed because kids watch one thing over and over. As a as a father, my son has picked out specific not just shows that he wants to watch all the time, but specific episodes that he wants to rewatch because in the streaming era, he can say, "No, I want to watch this episode of Paw Patrol," and he will not be sated by <laughs> any other. And that's just something I need to accept. We haven't gotten to the point where he watches movies over and over yet. Uh, we're we're holding off on actually introducing him to Star Wars until he's a little older. I'm prepared to watch New Hope. <laughs> every day that for sounds, a month that sounds awful it sounds like the worst thing in the world oh, it'll I'm... happen i'm just i'm just prepared for it the thing about this movie is that it's so consciously in the realm of all of these other things that kids love this movie was a massive right. failure this like it did not take off it did not spark the imaginations of a generation of kids kids were basically tuning out of he-man and 
the toy line was dying. Like I said, She-Ra was just starting to air because I believe She-Ra started in 87, maybe late 86. Mm -hmm. You know, the toy line was completely changing as a result. They were going from the action figures to the dolls. And it was, you know, the worst time you could have released this movie. And then there's nobody around to realize that it's not about making a faithful adaptation of a toy line. It's about just swinging for the fences on a buck wild movie. But, you know, they never came in. They never, they, nobody ever found out. Right. So it's amazing to me that you had a VHS copy of this. Because for me, this movie was a white whale. I heard of this movie when I was a kid. Because I loved He-Man. I used to walk around the house with a stick down the back of my shirt. Um, <laughs> Me too. Because that was that was my sword of power. Uh, because I wasn't allowed to actually get sword toys. You know, so I, I had heard that this movie existed. And I didn't get to see it until I was in college. Did you uh, watch this in college? And I, I watched this in college. I don't know where the hell you were. I think I torrented <laughs> it. Uh, and, you know, Lord knows where I would have found that torrent. I probably killed a computer right. finding it before your computer could get mined for Bitcoin, but I'm sure that would have happened now. You know, so this was okay. this was this thing that I was, like, fixated on because I had loved He-Man so much as a concept. Just the idea of... Just the idea of... of a, uh, it's the origin point for what I call kitchen sink fantasy. Because mm -hmm. it's just... You can add anything in. It's like... It's like there are very few things that I put in this category. And the two biggest are Masters of the Universe and Mortal Kombat. Because you can put anything into either of those franchises and it will work perfectly. Uh, you know, an assassin clown who fires explosive juggling balls. You could put that into either of those series and it would totally make sense. The execution would be different. You could have an Eastern Dragon versus a Western Dragon. You can have a manticore that sings show tunes. You can do literally anything, and it's always going to work because He-Man is just that nuts. Yeah, every character, there's, I mean, there's a character, No-Face, or not No-Face, I'm sorry, like Tri-Face. What's his power? He's got three faces. Yeah. That's not, that's not a, that's not a character. That's just a weird doodle that you did. Actually, you know what the worst part is? And I hate to cred check you like this. You've actually combined two different Masters of the Universe characters. Okay. Because there's Triclops, whose thing is that he has three eyes on a big rotating disc. And then there's Man-E Faces, who has uh, three heads that spin around in his big astronaut helmet. Oh my god. That, okay, so I'm thinking of Man-E Faces, which I'm also upset because um, that's a pun. And I love that as a pun. And I'm upset at myself for, for botching that role as hard as I did. I mean, again, I, I am sorry to do this on your home turf, but... I, no, I just I had to that. I just had to point out that, that that is the that not only is it that but that this is an idea that they came back to twice twice <laughs> they were like what if there was a dude but there were three of him and he spun around and that's, that's that they got two completely different action figures that were that same stocky Brock Lesnar muscle body because that's the that is the, the wild thing about you know Dolph Lundgren in this movie is that he is majestic in the way that a tiger is majestic he is like on a level that doesn't even seem human so he seems like an action figure but he doesn't seem like a masters of the universe action figure because those things are grotesque yeah, God, they're they are horrifying in like a, just in a that squat way. hunched over trapezoids up to their ears unbelievable muscle body and the idea that that's what normal is in Eternia is just horrifying. Like, if, they, if they'd cast for that, then this movie would be unwatchable because it would be a bunch of people who are too muscled up to move. They would, all, the, all the acting would be them turning their entire body to turn their heads. Like it's a Michael Keaton Batman movie. Exactly, yes. 
We're looking at the board right now. And I'm feeling pretty favorable. I, I, I feel weird saying, like, I'm not thinking that this is going to go in your top 10 necessarily mm-hmm. but i feel like it doesn't take very long before you get to movies that i don't think very highly of at all yeah <laughs> um, and that, obviously that's... this is this is your list not mine so uh the fact that you've got disney's three musketeers below one of the pirates of the caribbean sequels i mean that's that's your business <laughs> well that i mean this is all arbitrary and the, and the points don't matter I mean, that's true but I will say, if you want to put this below Bright, you'll have to kill me. <laughs> no, actually, what I'm looking at right now, my ceiling right now, mm-hmm. what it is definitely not better than, mm-hmm. is number 14, A Knight's Tale. I think that's fair. And I think it's also certainly way more enjoyable than Beowulf. Uh, yeah, I think it's better constructed than Beowulf, which is hilarious Absolutely. because Beowulf was this you know, 15-year passion project from... You know, acclaimed writer's writer, Neil Gaiman, and boy. Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, Robert Zemeckis, and there's just some, there are just some scene transitions in there. (laughs) It's certainly, it's certainly a, you know, 32 frames a second. But so we're not, we're not here to, we're not here to shit talk a movie I actually do quite like. So do Um, I. But But I feel like the, I feel like making this the new 15 feels good. Yeah, me too. So... That's what we're doing. Coming in at new 15 is going to be 1987's Masters of the Universe. Evan, right. how are you? Thank you for coming on. Do you have anything that you need to pl- need or want to plug? Um, well, I do have um I do would like to point people towards my uh towards my itch, which I am a maker of tabletop role-playing games. Uh I have uh only one game on my on my store at the moment and it is Pay What You Want if what you want is to grab a game for free that is uh absolutely fine i accept that um i wouldn't have put it up for that if i didn't want people looking my store is rudojudo.itch.io that's r-u-d-o-j-u-d-o dot i-t-c-h dot i-o and so like i said it's only got the one game up right now but i actually have three games in production right now awesome uh so there is going to be a lot of changes hopefully at least two of them will be going up before the end of this year. So if you can, if you're interested in making a profile on itch, you can always follow my account and you will automatically get notified when I post a new game. Uh, so that would be, that would be delightful. You know, get yourself something for free. See how I, see how I put my work together and then wait for what's next. I can also be found on Twitter, uh, like too much. It's uh, E underscore M C D E V I T T. To be fair, any amount of Twitter is too much. That's true. That's true. Especially as we approach June and Pride Discourse begins again. Just just a wonderful birthday present to me every year. Our theme music, Goblin Road Trip, is produced by Ryan Boyd. You can find them at Rye Android. Uh, our art is done by Wes Forbes. Uh, we can be found on basically every streaming platform. Podbean and Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, to everyone... Stay safe. Uh, keep wearing a mask if you're unvac- vaccinated. If you are vaccinated, wear a mask just to be polite. Uh, yeah, don't Evan, freak people thank out. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a delight to be here. And, you know, <laughs> get back into podcasting a little bit. Yeah, I uh, when you get when you get your things running around, let me know, and I will uh, uh, happily uh, give you a hand whenever I can. Uh, stay mm-hmm. safe, everyone. All right, bye. Bye.